Hi everyone, Drew Perot here, host of the Broken Brain Podcast. I just want to say thank you. We crossed over the 550,000 download mark. We couldn't have got there without your help. If you feel inspired, please leave us a review on Apple iTunes Podcast. It would mean the world to us or on Google Play. You can also find us on Spotify for those of you that are looking for other places to listen to us too. I want to give a quick shout out to our incredible team who has also helped us in the preparation of the interviews, in the promotion, and everything that's there. Elsa, Jennifer, Kea, Yali, thank you all so much. And of course, Dr. Hyman for helping us with this podcast. Now, on to this interview, just a little bit about today's interview. Dr. Tom O'Brien, he is such an incredible individual. I'm going to read his bio out. You're going to learn a ton about so many different subjects that we have not covered yet in the Broken Brain Podcast. For instance, we're going to dive into electronic magnetic frequencies, EMFs. Are they real? Do they hurt our brain? We're going to jump into all of that in this podcast. You know, Tom is so passionate about what he's up to, so he can sound, even he says it himself in this interview, a little bit like an alarmist because there's so much that's impacting our brain health when it comes to our modern life. Some of these technologies that we're so reliant on impact our health, but at the same time too, Tom delivers with tips and tricks of how we can do simple things to take back our brain health. You know, Tom was one of the first individuals in the functional medicine community who really sounded the alarm about non-celiac gluten sensitivity. That means that you didn't have to be celiac. You didn't have to have celiac disease to be somebody who suffered from the impact of wheat when it came to your intestinal lining and your overall health. And Tom is early on a lot of things, including many of the things that he talks about in this interview. So keep an open mind. I think you'll enjoy it. We get a little technical, but there's no shortage of practical tips. Now on to me introducing Tom for today's interview. Welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Perowit, executive producer of the Broken Brain docuseries. This podcast is dedicated to continuing the conversations that Dr. Hyman and I started during the Broken Brain series. Each week, we'll invite a new guest who we think can help you improve your brain health, feel better, and most importantly, live your best life. Today's guest on the podcast is our good friend, Dr. Tom O'Brien, and one of the featured experts in the Broken Brain docuseries. Dr. Tom O'Brien is an internationally recognized speaker and workshop leader specializing in wheat and its impact on our health and the development of autoimmune diseases as they occur inside and outside of the intestines. In November 2016, Dr. O'Brien released Betrayal, the autoimmune disease solution they're not telling you about, which is an investigation into global effects of issues underlying the autoimmune system and chronic disease. Over 500,000 people worldwide have watched the docuseries, including myself. Dr. O'Brien is considered the Sherlock Holmes of chronic disease and metabolic disorders, teaching that the underlying mechanisms that trigger the development of chronic diseases are the key to health. He holds teaching faculty positions with the Institute of Functional Medicine and the National University of Health Sciences. He has trained and certified tens of thousands of practitioners around the world in advanced understanding of the impact of wheat sensitivity and the development of individual autoimmune diseases. In 2016, his groundbreaking book, The Autoimmune Fix, won the National Book Award and ranked first in several categories in 
Amazon. The book outlines a step-by-step development of degenerative diseases and gives us the tools to identify our disease process years before the symptoms are obvious. Dr. Tom O'Brien is the founder of thedoctor.com and the host of the Gluten Summit, a grain of truth which brings together 29 of the world's experts on the gluten connection to diseases, disorders, and a wide-ranging host of symptoms. You can learn more about that at theglutensummit.com. Dr. Tom O'Brien, welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. Oh, thanks so much. It's really a pleasure to be here. And and uh, a lot of congratulations, you guys, once again, on such an excellent series on the Broken Brain. Thank you. And thank you for participating in it. You really brought some unique viewpoints, which we're going to be talking about a little bit you know, throughout the interview here. And one of the reasons that I feel this interview is so timely is that, you know, you're known for writing about autoimmune and talking about wheat. And your next book is all about brain health. And I think it's a perfect fit for our audience to introduce a lot of concepts that we haven't uh, covered before. In fact, uh, that's why we're so thrilled to be here with you today. My friendship with you, your friendship with him. So give us a little bit of background story. So how did you come to arriving to writing a book on brain health and why was it important to you? There's a uh, uh, underlying goal that I think all of us in functional medicine have, and that's to empower people to look upstream. And what I mean by that, I don't want to use a lot of geeky language, you know, but uh, so I'm just going to give you this analogy. Uh, When a patient comes in and they've been diagnosed with diabetes or their son's been diagnosed with attention deficit or a woman's had recurrent miscarriages, it really doesn't matter what the diagnosis is that a person's received, when they come to a functional medicine practitioner, they're looking for a bigger picture, a bigger way of dealing with the problem. When they come in, it's like they've fallen over a waterfall, you know, and they've crashed into the pond below and they swim up to the surface and, (laughs) you know, spit out the water and, and, you know, thank God I'm alive. And, they're swimming in this pond and of diabetes. Uh, they're swimming in this pond of uh, attention deficit or autism. And everybody's trying to stay afloat in the pond. But it's really hard to stay afloat in the pond because the waterfall keeps falling into the water. So it's really turbulent. You're still living the lifestyle that caused the problem. You know, and so we all are looking for the life jacket that can keep us afloat in the pond of our lives and how we live our lives. And it's really important to have a life jacket. And so you go for the most natural life jacket possible to start with, you know, the one with the least side effects. But if the natural stuff doesn't work, you take the drugs. You do what it takes so that you can stay afloat, so that you're alive and you're functional. But you don't stay in the pond. You swim over to the side of the pond because you're in a life jacket now and you're safe. And swim over to the side of the pond, get out of the water, walk up the hill walk back upstream, back up the river, and figure out what fell in the river that carried me downstream, eventually falling over the waterfall into the pond of diabetes, or my son into the pond of of attention deficit. What happened to me? And that's what functional medicine is. We call it going upstream. So in the first book, The Autoimmune Fix, the message in the book is there's an underlying mechanism in the development of practically all degenerative diseases. I don't know of one degenerative disease that doesn't happen because of inflammation 
at the cellular level, it's always your immune system trying to protect you, creating inflammation. The question is, is it a kidney cell or a brain cell? Is it gasoline or kerosene? And when people get that big picture, they start asking more questions in general about where is this inflammation coming from? So fast forward now to the new book, You Can Fix Your Brain, one hour a week to the best memory, productivity, and sleep you've ever had. And what we do in this book is we dial down on one system of the body with the symptoms that happen for that one system of the body and take people upstream and asking the questions, learning what the questions are that you have to ask to find out why is my brain not functioning properly. So we just, I, I dial down on that one system. That's why the book is about the brain. I think one of the unique things about functional medicine is that sometimes patients come into a clinic or come to see a practitioner like yourself and they come in for uh, one specific thing that maybe they've gotten a traditional diagnosis on, like an autoimmune uh, condition. And when they follow your protocols and your program, the interesting and the unique thing is a lot of those patients come back and they say, well, I know I came in to help improve my gut or my Hashimoto's or this, but now my brain is also functioning better. And I've heard you talk about this before. All these things are, um, are connected in a way that we may not realize on uh, the surface. So is the approach to addressing brain health quite different to the approach to addressing autoimmune health? No, no, not in the least, not in the least. Some of the life jackets may be different depending, but the approach, the big picture view, the way to step back and take a look at what's here in front of you is the same. And because rarely do you treat the brain for brain symptoms, rarely. You, you may need a life jacket for a while, but I can't think of one case right now ever of someone who came in with brain symptoms who after going through the protocols that were specific for them, their whole body improved, you know, who didn't lose weight uh, as a result of the program or, or whose energy was better or their bowels started working better or they feel lighter or their, their sleep is better. You know, if you have a kidney problem, you don't treat the kidneys. You may put a life jacket on. You have to find out the right life jacket for the symptoms, but you have to treat the person, not the disease. And in your brain, it's the same thing. You have to treat the person, not the disease. Uh, once again, of course, there might be life jackets. I'll give you one example. A person came in, seizures, young woman in her 20s. Um, she was having seizures and drug resistant, that the medications were helping a little, but not very much at all. And what it eventually dialed down to, what we eventually found for her was that she was suffering from electromagnetic pollution. Uh, and what was the key to getting her seizures to dissipate? Get the alarm clock next to the bed. Uh, get it away from the bed. Get it off of that stand next to the bed. Put it on the other side of the room. And because the alarm, and, and turn the wireless off at night in the house. And those two things, that's all it took after everything else that had been tried for this woman by a number of doctors, getting that alarm clock away from her head, which was on the stand next to her pillow, was what it took, and her seizures dissipated. 
Wow. So you have to look for the individual. In the book, what we talk about is there's four pillars to look at, and any pillar can cause any problem. The pillars are your structure. If you think of a pyramid, um, it's a three-sided pyramid. The, the base is your structure. That's the home of chiropractic and pillows, orthopedic pillows and car seats and are your shoes, the heels worn down on your shoes. I mean, um, massage, osteopathy, uh, Feldenkrais technique, Alexander technique, Rolfing, um, that's all in the world of structure. And structure may be the trigger causing symptoms anywhere in your body. So that's the first pillar. Then the three sides of the pyramid. The first one's biochemistry, and we all know about biochemistry. That's the food we eat, and you've heard uh, Dr. Hyman and myself say over years, many, many times, the most inflammatory substance that we're exposed to is what's on the end of your fork, right? So biochemistry is what you eat, what you drink, uh, the air you breathe. That may be the trigger. Another example of biochemistry is mold exposure. We know the most common um, type of Alzheimer's from our friend Dr. Dale Bredesen is inhalation Alzheimer's. It's what you're breathing that's causing the inflammation in your brain. That's in the biochemistry. The structure's on the base. One side of the pyramid is biochemistry. The next side is the emotional or the spiritual. And we all know how that may be the trigger that can cause any condition in your body. Uh, and the last side of the pyramid is the electromagnetic. Uh, we started learning back in the early 80s, cell towers and kids, families that live near cell towers within a quarter mile. There was a 70% increased risk of children developing tumors if they lived within a quarter mile of uh, cell towers. And we knew that back in the 80s. And we know now, of course, that brain tumors are one of the fastest growing tumors. And it's because people are putting a battery next to their head. And you can't do that. And and whether it's a Bluetooth or it's the cell phone itself, and we need to use corded headsets. And in the book, we talk about the studies that show that children are so much more vulnerable to tumors from cell phones because their skull is thinner. And so the amount of electromagnetic radiation from a cell phone, if you're an inch away from the head, it diminishes dramatically. If you're two inches away, it's almost non-existent in terms of the cell phone itself penetrating your skull. But for a child, they have thinner skulls, and they, it's the same cell phone, so it penetrates so much deeper. That may be the trigger to your child's seizures or your child's attention deficit or their anxiety. So the concept here is that there's four pillars. There's the base, that's your structure, and then the three sides, which is your biochemistry, your electromagnetics, and your spiritual or emotional. And any combination of those, any one may be primary or the priority, but it could be and usually is a combination of them. So what works for your neighbor, your neighbor's son for attention deficit, working on a methylation pathway in biochemistry, may not work for your son with attention deficit. And it may be that your son has electromagnetic pollution that's the primary trigger. So the concept is going back upstream and figuring out what fell in the river that carried you downstream and eventually you fell over into the pond of whatever your brain symptoms are. 
And for a lot of people to unpack this further, you know, swimming upstream, is it true that sometimes we may not know until we work on these modalities, we don't often always know which one might be the one that's impacting us the most? How do you help people think about that? That's really true. And uh, that's where a functional medicine type of practitioner, someone who's a Sherlock Holmes in their practice, you know, that will investigate and not just shotgun uh, um, comes into play. Um, uh, it's, it's hard. Um, and I'm going to say this. I'm, I'm just going to say it straight. You know, we all want the easy life jacket. You know, we're, we're willing to do what it takes to some degree, but the, the quicker, the better. I want these symptoms gone. Uh, and so we, we go for the quickest fix that we can find. If it helps a little bit, we're, we're good with that. But we really don't have time to mess around anymore. Uh, we don't have time. I'm going to tell you two studies for our listeners that hopefully will have an impact. The first one is from the World Wildlife Fund. They published a study about two and a half years ago, maybe three years ago now, where they demonstrate that between 1970 and 2011, in 41 years, there has been on average a 58% reduction in populations of all vertebrate species on the planet. That means anything with a spine, birds, insects, fish, mammals, 58% of all of them are gone in 41 years. For the birds, the average was 35%. For the animals near fresh water, it's 78%. 78% of the beavers are gone. The porcupines, they're gone. In 41 years, they're gone. Why? They're drinking the water coming out of the streams and the rivers. And if you were drinking the water coming out of the stream near your home, you'd get cancer quicker. You'd be unable to reproduce, just like the animals. Second study, a meta-analysis, which means they look at a whole lot of studies on one subject. And they looked at 186 studies on sperm count in healthy men, not infertile men, healthy men. 186 studies between 1974 and 2011, so in 37 years. There has been a 59% reduction in sperm count in healthy men in the last 37 years. Now, so what to that number? Scientists worry about extinction of a species at 72% reduction in sperm count. We're at 59% in 37 years. What do you think is gonna happen in the next 20 years? It's unbelievable what, what's happening here. And one example of this, who was it that conquered the Romans? Uh, well, I know the answer. So, I mean, <laughs> okay. I think I know the answer. So Go I won't. On. No one <laughs> it was an internal. <laughs> That's right. It was internal. They built lead aqueducts to carry the water through the city. And they put lead in the wine. And lead poisoning made them infertile. And the whole culture died off. They didn't reproduce. Just like the animals are not reproducing. And humans now, men, have a 59% reduction in sperm count in 37 years. We have to wake up that the way we are living our lives is contributing to the increase in all of the degenerative diseases. And if this continues, just the way it's going, if this continues, your children or your grandchildren will not be able to reproduce. There is no technology to fix this. 
So then the question is, what's the problem? The primary problem, there are a number of them, electromagnetic pollution is huge compared to ever before. They're talking about 5G now, which is going to be even stronger penetration into the body. Uh, uh, but the primary, the Journal of Pediatrics wrote, uh, they published a paper that the average is 250 pounds of toxic chemicals per person per day are being dumped in the U.S. 250 pounds per person per day. So that means for you and I, Drew, that's 500 pounds per day. That's 10 50-pound bags every day. So in one week, that's 70 50-pound bags. That's all, that fills up an entire room just for you and me, let alone the millions of people that live in this country. And the number is astronomical. But that amount of toxins it's impossible that the residue doesn't get into our bodies. It's just impossible. Uh, it's, and you hear about it in the foods and the GMOs and the phthalates from plastic that are getting into our bodies. And the result is our immune system trying to protect us are causing so much more inflammation. And then wherever the weak link is in your chain, your kidney, your brain, that's where you manifest your symptoms. So when you're concerned about your brain, when you're concerned about your brain function, you want to optimize your brain function, we all have to learn now that the way we've been living our lives is not sustainable for the species. And we have to make some changes. Uh, for example, when you pump gas, can you smell the gas sometimes when you're standing at the gas pump? Yeah, I think most people can. Yeah, you bet. You're smelling benzene. Benzene is a neurotoxin. It goes through the lungs right into the bloodstream, straight up to the brain, causing inflammation in the brain. So neurotoxin, but wait, I've got to pump gas. Well, of course, but you're standing downwind if you're smelling it. Walk around to the other side of the hose. Now you're standing upwind. And if you still smell it, just go sit in the car until the pump clicks that you're done and you're just reducing your exposure. It's that way of thinking. We have to reframe how we think about protecting ourselves and our children and our families and living our lives because the comforts that we've developed in our society today are taking us down, slowly and surely taking us down. And the scientists are talking now about the sixth extinction. And they say in 50 years, the sixth extinction. And they're talking about humans. Just Google the sixth extinction and read some of the papers. It's just jaw-dropping. And once again, it's so overwhelming. It's tremendously overwhelming. So what the book is about, You Can Fix Your Brain, is taking baby steps. And there's two concepts that we come up with in there. The first concept is base hits win the ball game. Base hits, the little things you do that are accumulated, walk around to the other side of the pump. Um, I'll give you an example. Went shopping, uh, oh, it was about two months ago now, for some food at the local natural food store. I was in the produce aisle, and I just took the plastic bag, the roll of plastic bags. I'm tearing off one, two, three, four. And I tore off about 10 of them because I needed to stock up, going to buy a bunch of vegetables. And, you know, I, I got my vegetables, went home, and took the broccoli out of the plastic bag and put it in the refrigerator and took the uh, rutabaga out of the plastic bag and put in the refrigerator and, and then you know i throw the plastic bags on the floor while i'm doing all that and then when it's all done i close the refrigerator door grab all the plastic bags and was about to throw them in the garbage and i said wait a minute i'm just i'm polluting 
I'm, I think when it goes in the garbage bag that it disappears. It doesn't disappear. Why don't I reuse these plastic bags? And so I put them all into one plastic bag, put them by the door. Next time I walked out to the car, I brought them out with me, put them in the back of the car in the trunk so that next time I go shopping, I'd use the bags. A few weeks later, I got back in town. A few weeks later, I went shopping, you know, and I'm back in the store and I'm pushing the cart and I went up to the roll of plastic bags and I started I, and I tore off the first bag and then I remembered, oh, wait, they're in the car. Oh, I'll get them next time. That's okay. And I went to get the second bag, tear it off. And this little boy said, no, go get it now. I said, oh, I'm too busy. No, go get it now. And it took me a total of like three and a half minutes to leave the cart where it was, walk out to the parking lot get the bags, come back in, and then use the same bags, you know, recycle the bags that way. And it's such a small thing, but I was lazy. I was just, you know, oh, I don't have time to walk out to the car. You know, I'm too busy a life. But I was about to pollute with another 10, 12, 15 plastic bags and do that a couple times a month, and I'm contributing to more pollution on the planet. And I was so proud of myself that I went back out to the car to get the bags. And it's those little things that you'll think of them when that little voice inside of you says, go get the bags or take your shoes off at the door before you go in the house or whatever it is that your little voice, you want to be thinking that way, that we have to reframe how we think about living our lives on this planet and protecting our families. You know, mm. Einstein's, Einstein said that... Uh, the problems we've created today cannot be solved with the same level of thinking that created the problem. We have to up our game. Yeah, and I think when it comes to upping our game, you know, you you hinted at it earlier, and I think this is where um, I'm excited to break it down for you because uh, it is so alarming, and most people are focused trying to function in their day, get through the week, you know, figure out how to go about their their life and. And, you know, even struggling with their own uh, illnesses. And uh, I mean, I do see that, you know, when people start to improve their own health, they start to think about the health of the planet and other things because they realize there's so many other people and, and other living beings that are exposed to all these things that don't have that ability to do. But I digress for a second. So to come back to it, it can often feel like it's so overwhelming and we don't know where to start. So I want to take some of these topics that you covered and go through them one by one and talk about understanding them a little bit better and practical things that we can do to begin to really address them. So, um, absolutely. And may I, may I just uh, yeah. comment and then absolutely we'll do that. Cause I said, there are two things. And the first thing is base hits win the ball game. It's the little things. It's the little things we do will make a difference. And the second thing that's really important to minimize the overwhelm factor is one hour a week. If you just allocate one hour a week to learn something new, you know, I'm going to listen to that podcast again, or uh, I'm going back to Broken Brain to listen to that interview again, or I'm going to read another chapter in O'Brien's book, you know, but just one hour a week and implement one thing a week into your lifestyle in six months, you've got this down, you know, that we think we have to do it all right now. And it's so overwhelming, we become immobilized. So if we look at base hits, win the ball game, and just one hour a week to a new principle and be patient and kind to yourself so that you don't expect that you're going to get this all at one time, then 
that's a formula for success. So, okay, I, I just wanted to get those, it's those two points that can make whatever it is that you're going to work on to enhance your brain function successful. Yeah, and great points they are. Uh, so let's go through some of these kind of categories that you've talked about before and, and how it shows up. So, you know, you talked about EMF, and I think EMF is something we haven't talked about as much about on this podcast. And people, uh, most people listening to this podcast are aware of the fact that, okay, where previously there was so much denials from the industry about the toxicity of uh, electronic magnetic frequencies and cell phone radiation, there's some awareness now that, okay, no, we have to start paying attention to it. But you gave an example earlier, which was an alarm clock. You know, your patient having an alarm clock next to their head, it doesn't, you know, I don't know many alarm clocks that are Wi-Fi enabled, so it doesn't even sound like it was a connected device. Can even simple plugged in things that are next to our body for prolonged periods of time cause, you know, toxic exposure? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a really good question, you know, and uh, I, I love this topic. My first week in my ed education back in 1978, my very first week, I saw a sign that Dr. Sheldon Deal was going to be talking that weekend on um, toxicity in our world. And Dr. Sheldon Deal was Mr. Arizona. And I said, oh, the guy's a bodybuilder. And I was into working out. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll go hear what this guy has to say. So back then, color TVs had just come out. So he had a color TV in the room, turned it on, but left the volume down. It was cool to see the colors on the screen. You know, now we take it for granted. But back then it was, you know, we had been used to black and white. And so there's the color. He walks over to the desk and he opens his briefcase, takes out a bar magnet, the bar magnet, the size of an iPhone 10. Uh, and he holds it up and he walks up to the color TV and the picture turns upside down. He walks away and the picture goes right side up. He walks towards it again with the bar magnet and the picture goes upside down and he walks away and it goes right side up. And he said, that's what electromagnetics do to your brain. They turn you upside down and it's called switching where, you know, you say right when you mean left, you uh, you've got things backwards. Um, it's it's a neurological condition called switching. And that was my first exposure. Back then we weren't talking. There were, there were no cell phones. Back then, we were talking about uh, batteries in watches, and that's all the Fitbits now, you know, and, th and uh, the things that are sending out messages that we use. Um, so I had, uh, so when I got into practice, I got a uh, EMF meter. They're about 300 bucks. You can get them on Amazon. And I would give it to patients to take home and check their house. And I'd say, go past every wall, slowly walk by the walls and take a look. Because a mouse may uh, inside the wall may have chewed some insulation off one of the wirings, and you may have some leakage. And patients would come back and they say, "My gosh, doc, by by my child's window, it just went off the roof." Because it's supposed to be less than three on the meter, and they'd be in the 40s or the 60s. And I'll right by the window, and I look outside, and there's a transformer box on the telephone pole on the at the end of the backyard. Could that be the problem? I say, absolutely, absolutely, uh, or uh, dimmer switches. And if you put the meter next to a dimmer switch and you turn the dimmer switch on, it shoots up to 15, 20, 22. Uh, I forget what the the scale is, but it would shoot up to 15 or 20, 22. And you walk two inches away and it would be down to one. 
So it's a very weak leak coming from the wiring in the switch. Or color televisions themselves, if you're on the other side of the wall, if your bedroom's on the other side, or your child's bedroom's on the other side of the wall from the color television, the meter goes off the charts when you turn the color television on. In the, in the child's room, the meter goes off the chart when you turn the television on in the living room if it's on the other side of the wall. So we're exposed to all of this electromagnetic radiation every single day, every single day. And all of us know that if you go to a restaurant or you're in a shopping center and you look for uh, a Wi-Fi connection, how many different Wi-Fis is your phone registering right now? All of those Wi-Fis are penetra penetrating your body. They're, they're hitting us. And there is no evidence anywhere, Drew, that I've been able to find. There is no evidence that the amount of electromagnetic leakage coming out of a cell phone uh, at any, in any one hour, 24 hour period is going to cause tissue damage. There's no evidence of that. But the accumulative aspect of eight different wireless networks every day, if you live in a condo and all your neighbors have wireless and you on your phone want to hook up to yours, and you look and see there's eight different wirelesses in your house right now and they're all secured by password and there's yours and you put the password to yours, but you're being hit by eight wirelesses, uh, wireless frequencies coming at you. And there's no evidence that one day exposure to that is a problem, but it's accumulative. And put on top of that, the pesticides in the non-organic foods that we're eating and the hormone residue in the water and the phthalates in the, in the plastic, uh, leaking from the plastic bottle or leaking from the plastic lid on your coffee cup that you get at the shop that bisphenol A is now in your coffee from the lid that's on top of it. The accumulative aspect of all of these different platforms, all four platforms, is what takes us over the edge. And for, you know, like we often are told, like, turn your Wi-Fi off at night. You know, I bought this like $30 packet of um, switchers on Amazon, you know, the other day, because yes. I used to manually pull out my you know, unplug my Wi-Fi, but it's in a tough area. So some nights I would forget. So I thought, let me just turn it on like a little switcher. So I bought a little switch on Amazon that can remotely turn off the outlet and turn off everything in there because my Wi-Fi is hard to get to. So we're often taught, we often told, you know, turn off your Wi-Fi, other things. But, you know, there's a lot of people that put their phone on, you know, airplane mode, but still leave it in their, in their bed. And you're saying that, listen, because of the cumulative approach of all these things, let's just not have any electronic devices really around us in sort of sensitive times during the day, especially sleep? Well, first off, high five to you for spending the 30 bucks for the switch, you know, that, that, you, that you had to go on Amazon, you had to take the time to look for the thing and then order it. That's like one hour a week. That's the one thing that you do that week, you know, just these little base hits. So first, kudos on that. Now about the phones. I drive an Acura. And when I walk up to the car, uh, my key sends a frequency to the car, says Tom's coming, and the lights turn on by the door handle, so there's a little light down, you know, the shines on the ground, and the dome lights inside go on before I get to the car. And then I just grab the door handle, it unlocks automatically, right? But I've got a Pong, P-O-N-G, case on my iPhone uh, because it shields electromagnetic leakage. If I'm holding my keys 
in the same hand as my phone. The lights don't go on in the car as I walk up to the car and the door handle won't unlock. I said, what's, oh yeah, right. And I've got to take the keys out of my hand that the phone's in, that these pong cases work. That was the example to me that this thing actually works. Cause you, you know, you, you never know unless you've got a meter to measure the leakage. And so we get a pong case for our phone. So me, I, if I need an alarm to wake up in the morning, I'm going to put my cell phone on airplane mode next to my bed. But I put the face down and the pong side up uh, and it'll, you know, the, the alarm will still ring in airplane mode. And with the pong cover on it, it's going to block the radiation. You, know, you want to do the little things you can, but if it's going to make my life inconvenient to the point, I'm not going to do that then you have to figure out another way to do it. So the idea of the switch is great. Getting a Pong case, putting your phone on airplane mode for the alarm is great. If you want the alarm clock, put it on the other side of the room on your dresser, not on the stand nightstand next to the bed. Perfect. Uh, let's talk about a couple of the areas that uh, you know, you've mentioned earlier and dig into these a little bit and how it relates to the, you know, the one-hour um, a week, you know, these little uh, hits that we can get on a regular basis. So we've talked about toxins in our environment. Most individuals are very familiar with uh, listening to this podcast and watching either your series or the Broken Brain series or other series that are out there. We know about the value of organic and reducing the pesticide exposure in our foods. What, what are the other toxins that are out there and especially the ones that are known to cause massive issues for our brain. Oh, oh, many of our vegetables now are sprayed with antibiotics uh, before harvest uh, to keep the bugs away. Uh, and I don't know what other chemical reasons there are to use the antibiotics, but they're sprayed with antibiotics. So there's antibiotic residue on a lot of our non-organic produce. The insecticides and the pesticides uh, I remember I got really sick one time. I mean, I was for a day. I couldn't move. I, I couldn't get it. was the one day that I did not see patients when, when I was scheduled to see patients. The only day I ever missed in my career. And uh, I, could, I, I couldn't move out of the bed. I couldn't have any music on because the noise was reverberating in my head. I, I knew what it was. And uh, it was a cytomegalovirus infection. And the day before, I had eaten two containers of raspberries uh, from Whole Foods. And I like raspberries, you know, and I ate up two whole containers of them. And, uh, uh, but they weren't organic. And they were out of the organic ones, so I got the regular ones. And I found out that there was a CMV, a cytomegalovirus outbreak in Chicago that week. Uh, and a lot of people went to the hospital. They were hospitalized for a few days with this. And it turned out that the uh, fields where the raspberries were growing in Mexico, that there was uh, contamination there. There was uh, some bacterial contamination and the viral count went really high. You don't know what you're getting unless you know the farmer that's growing the food. Um, that's why um, a great suggestion in many areas of the country People are able to join these farm-to-table co-ops, and you pay a flat fee for a length of time, and every week you get a box delivered to you or to a central location where you go pick it up of whatever they're harvesting that week, and it's all organic, you know, and you, know, you never know what's coming. And one week, 
Here comes a rutabaga. Well, what do I do with a rutabaga? You know, um, and I, I recommend people eat a, at least one root vegetable every day for its prebiotic uh, benefits and feeding your microbiome. So with rutabaga, and it's the same with all the root vegetables, I just chop it up uh, into clumps, uh, not quite dicing it, not that small, but into bite-sized pieces. And I saute some onion and garlic in some coconut oil, and then I add the root vegetable in there, and then I'll add some Italian spices or maybe a little organic peanut sauce or something, and that's how I eat my root vegetables. You know, so you... You always want organic because the amount of insecticides and pesticides and antibiotics um, and uh, uh, glyphosate that's found in the foods um, is growing. It's not reducing. It's growing every year. So you mentioned glyphosate, and I, I want to pivot for a second. I want to talk about some sort of key components and topics that are important to the work that uh, that you do that helps set the context for a lot of this, especially when it comes to brain health. So, you know, we, we've we've heard a lot uh, about, you know, leaky gut, and then more people more recently are learning about leaky brain and the blood-brain barrier. Um, you know, it's often something that's misunderstood, and you have a great way of explaining things. Can you help people understand, you know, what is leaky brain and what what happens when we develop it, and what are the things that can impact that can create leaky brain and impact our brain health? Really good question. Really good question. Thanks. Um, it's a a primary message in the new book. You can fix your brain. Uh, I coined a term in there that I hope becomes common vernacular within the next year for practitioners and the general public. And the term is B four capital B the number four. Do you have a breach of the blood-brain barrier? Because that's the geek term for it, is breach of the blood-brain barrier. And there's a cheesecloth that covers your brain, that protects your brain, so that only really small molecules can get through and get inside the brain. And that's your blood-brain barrier. It's there to protect you. And as far as I know, almost every brain dysfunction, whether it's depression or anxiety, or attention deficit, or autism, or Parkinson's, or Alzheimer's, or schizophrenia, or bipolar. Every brain dysfunction, practically everyone, uh, has inflammation, and measuring these inflammatory markers called cytokines being sky high as the mechanism that's triggering those particular symptoms. Inflammation is the mechanism. So the question is, why is my immune system activated, creating all of this inflammation? And the primary reason why is because if you get B4, a breach of the blood-brain barrier, larger size molecules get into the brain that aren't supposed to get in there. And the human body has four different, separate, distinct immune systems. We have the immune system in our gut. And it's, that's the majority. It's over 70% of our immune. Some papers say 80%, so it depends on what study you read. But 70 to 80% of the immune system is in the gut. It's there to protect you because the most threatening, toxic stuff that we're exposed to, that our ancestors were exposed to, that's a really important point. We have the same immune system as our ancestors. And the only things that they were exposed to was bugs, parasites, viruses, molds, and funguses. That was it. There is nothing else. So our immune system can only respond as if it's being 
exposed to a bug, parasite, virus, mold, or fungus. So four separate immune systems, the one in the gut for the intestines, the one in the liver called Kupfner cells, the one in the bloodstream that has the white blood cells in it, the different types of white blood cells, and one in the brain. The one in the brain is called the glial cells. And the glial cells are sentries standing just inside the blood-brain barrier. They're just standing guard there. They're dormant, just hanging out, just you know, enjoying life. But if anything gets through, if you get B4 and anything gets through into the brain itself, those sentries standing guard immediately are activated. Now, the immune system fires high-powered bullets. Uh, the antibodies, for example, are like special forces. They've got high-powered rifles firing high-powered bullets. But the glial cells in the brain fire bazookas. They don't mess around. Nothing is supposed to get into the brain. So if you get a breach of the blood-brain barrier, if you get B4 and molecules get in that are not supposed to get in, you activate the glial cells right away to protect you, firing their bazookas. What happens is not only do, you, do they destroy whatever the invader is, whether it's a bacteria or a virus or a molecule of protein from poorly digested wheat, uh, whatever it is, not only do, does the bazooka destroy that invading molecule, but there's collateral damage. Not a big deal at all, unless you've got B4 every single day. It doesn't calm down in a day or two. And if you've got B4 because you have a sensitivity to wheat and, um, you know, you pull a chain of breaks at the weakest link and the weak link for you is your brain and you eat wheat every day. You know, when I'm in seminars with doctors, you know, 200, 300 doctors in the room, I say, how many of you know or suspect you may have a sensitivity to wheat? 70 to 80 percent raise their hand. I say, come on, hold your hands high, please. You know, and docs sometimes don't want to participate. Get them up there. And I look around the room, and they look, and they go, holy cow. And they see 70, 80% of the room has raised their hand. Thanks, put your hands down. Now, how many of you know that if you get an exposure to wheat, it seems to affect your brain? Show of hands, please. And about 80% of that first 80% raise their hand. Say, look around the room, and they go, wow. I said, this is your practice. I'm not talking to a, this is not a talk on celiac disease. This is a talk to healthcare practitioners. You guys are just more aware than the general public of what might be bothering you. So if anyone listening to this, if you get a little brain fog or if you get a little brain fatigue when you eat a particular food, you're creating B4. You're creating a breach of your blood-brain barrier in that moment, causing the inflammation that's giving you the brain fog. And this happens every single day. And if it continues to happen, you have continually get B4, continue to get B4, continue to get B4. Eventually, you kill off enough cells in your brain, here comes a diagnosis, whether it's schizophrenia or uh, uh, attention deficit or autism or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. It doesn't matter what the diagnosis is. The mechanism is that B4 allowed these macromolecules to get in that should not have gotten in. It's so fascinating because... You know, there's all these, um, you know, in the book, The Autoimmune Fix and a lot of your work, you talk about how it's so important to identify these issues that are building up before they have a name. Most people are used to going to their practitioner, especially here in the U.S. and in Western medicine, 
and they go to their practitioner and they say, um, great, how am I doing? You know, in my annual checkup, um, great, you're good. You know, your cholesterol is a little high. Maybe you can lose some weight, but you know, you're good. Maybe it's an individual who's a little bit, you know, uh, younger, especially, but then internally they know they aren't sleeping well. They have brain fog, as you're mentioning. They have light level, you know, to moderate level digestive issues, but constantly, constant constipation, bloating. And they just think that these things are part of aging. And what you're talking about here, especially, is that if you're getting these little symptoms, and not even little, they can be big, big for you, even though there's not a modern uh, methodology of getting that diagnosis from a traditional doctor, although you could get you know, your symptoms addressed by a functional medicine doctor, it's really your responsibility as a listener to pay attention because even though it may not have a name yet, doesn't mean you're not down the pathway of developing a deeper disease uh, or a full-blown disease later on. That's critically important. Well said. You know, that we think uh, no major symptoms, no problem. And unfortunately, every autoimmune disease and almost all degenerative diseases are autoimmune. Almost all of them are. Your immune system's trying to protect you. You don't feel when you've got elevated antibodies to your thyroid. You don't feel it, but those antibodies are killing off your thyroid cell by cell by cell. You don't feel it when you've got elevated antibodies to your cerebellum. You don't feel it, but those antibodies are killing off your cerebellum cell by cell by cell. And eventually in your 60s or 70s, you're an old person that can't walk with grace anymore. You shuffle a little bit or you have to hold the railing walking up and down the stairs. And it's not your legs that are a problem. It's your cerebellum has shrunk from being killed off cell by cell for 30 years or 40 years. And you just don't have the muscle control from your brain anymore. You don't have good balance anymore. Or your thyroid, and you know you get a little cold hands and feet once in a while. Sometimes you wear socks to bed. You can't lose that last five pounds even if you try. If you don't eat for a couple of days, you can't feel a little sluggish, a little morose in the mornings when you wake up. Maybe you have to hit the snooze a few times, can't get out of bed. Those are all thyroid problems, but you do a blood test and everything looks fine. Your doctor says you're fine, but you're th- yeah, it must be stress, and they throw it off to stress. But your immune system trying to protect you is killing off your tissue cell by cell by cell. And this is exactly what happens in the brain. It's killing off your tissue cell by cell. And you don't feel it when it's killing off your tissue cell by cell. That's why it's so important to do the screening tests to see what's cooking in my brain right now. What's cooking? You know, I uh, uh, was married uh, a couple of years ago. And for our honeymoon, we spent six weeks in Costa Rica and, uh, you know, cause I can work anywhere if I have good internet. And so we just did work down there and enjoyed being newlyweds. And, you know, I, I read 93 research papers on the blood brain barrier in that six week period. Well, I laugh about my wife and I laugh about that a lot because it was just an ideal time of two honeymooners, you know, just hanging out and, and really enjoying each other. And her thing was to sunbathe and she really wanted to soak sun and have that experience and never had the opportunity for that length of time before to do that. Uh, and we just had a wonderful time, but I read 93 research papers on the blood brain barrier. As a result of that, a test came out about nine months later. That is the go-to test now to see if you have any inflammation in your brain 
from your immune system being activated. The test is called the neural zoomer, the neural zoomer. And you ask your doctor to check out the neural zoomer test for you. And you can you know, get more information on it by going to my website if you want. But take that information to your doctor and say, hey, I'd like to do the neural zoomer. You know, I get a little brain fog once in a while. Sometimes I forget where my keys are. And I, I want to see what, are the, what mechanisms might be going on in my body right now that could be contributing to that. And I'll, I'll give you one example. One of the markers, I was blown away when I learned this. I had no idea. There's over 150 studies, Drew, on the association between herpes simplex 1, the virus that causes the cold sores that so many people get, herpes simplex 1, and Alzheimer's. There's over 150 studies directly associated with that, that beta amyloid, the compound made in our brains that eventually forms the plaque that is the uh, hallmark of Alzheimer's, beta amyloid is actually an antibacterial, antiviral. And what it's doing is gets activated, try and protect you. you. You get a viral infection in your brain of herpes, beta amyloid gets activated to kill the, the, the virus. And it walls it off. The one study said the, the plaque is a complete walling off of the antigen, the offending substance. It's completely walling it off so that even if there's any residue left that doesn't get killed off, it can't escape. That's beta amyloid plaque. And that's why your nerves don't work anymore. But beta amyloid is a protective mechanism. So the question is, what's it trying to protect you from? Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, in in so much of our, you know, drug development right now is trying to focus on like, well, how do we get rid of the plaque, not realizing, well, what is the plaque reacting to? Exactly, exactly. And what most people don't know yet is that there's two, and there may be more that I don't know about, two pharmaceutical companies in the last year and a half have closed down their Alzheimer's research departments and laid off the scientists. They've closed them down because they've spent billions trying to come up with the life jacket, and they realize they'll never be able to come up with the life jacket. And as you know, Dr. Bredesen has shown us there's 36 different things that have to be addressed. And then you've got a chance at arresting the progression of Alzheimer's. But there's no one drug that's ever going to work. Pharmaceutical companies have shut down their research departments. But here's the mechanism. You know, what I talk about and you can fix your brain, here's the mechanism. And take one hour a week, Mrs. Patient. Just one hour a week, learn a little more about this. Ask a couple of questions to learn more of what's going on in my brain right now. And then, you, and then once you identify what the mechanism is that's going on right now, then you explore, okay, which of the four pillars are the primary trigger for that mechanism that's going on right now? And then you say, okay, here's the pillar that I have to address. For example, if it's electromagnetic, okay, how do I address the electromagnetics? And then you learn about that. That's why it's so overwhelming for people. And that's why you have to have the patience and say one hour a week. You know, I can do this for an hour a week. Every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, I'm just going to say that's my night where I'm just going to dial down. I'll read a little more from O'Brien's book or I'm going to listen to another episode of uh, Broken Brain Podcast. You know, just one hour a week. And eventually, you'll get this down. You'll figure it out. And hopefully you'll find a healthcare practitioner that's in it with you. But if not, you'll you'll be able to dial this down and figure it out and then know what the next step is. Great. 
I love it. So I want to go to another concept you talk about in your book that is very crucial, and it's also something new that we haven't really talked about yet on our podcast. And it's it's this concept of um, molecular mimicry and how it can contribute to brain-related conditions, you know, such as Alzheimer's, depression, and anxiety. Can you explain again with your ability to explain and break things down? I think it would be great. You know, uh, what is molecular mimicry, and why is it so important to understand how the immune system works? Um, and what it, what it may be sensitive to. Sure, you bet. Um, Mrs. Patient, your uh, proteins are like a uh, uh, pearl necklace. Hydrochloric acid undoes the clasp of the pearl necklace. That's made in your stomach. Hydrochloric acid undoes the clasp of the pearl necklace. Now you're holding a string of pearls. Your digestive enzymes are like scissors cutting that pearl necklace into smaller pieces of the pearl necklace, smaller pieces, small, clip, 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 until you get down to each pearl of the pearl necklace. And that's called an amino acid. The amino acids go right through the cheesecloth of your intestines, the lining of your intestines into the bloodstream. And then your body uses those amino acids as building blocks. The problem with wheat, for example, is that no human has the scissors to break down the pearl necklace into each pearl. The best we can do is to break it into clumps of the pearl necklace. These clumps of the pearl necklace are inflammatory and they tear the cheesecloth of the intestinal lining every single time. Harvard's published on this. I've got five papers on this on my full day course on gluten and and what to do about gluten sensitivity. Um, There are five papers that every human gets intestinal permeability every time they eat wheat. You don't feel it, but every human gets tears in the cheesecloth every time you eat wheat. Mrs. Patient, the fastest growing cells in the body are the inside lining of the intestines. Every three to five days, you have a whole new lining of your intestines. We have an entire new body every seven years. Some cells regenerate very quickly, like the inside lining of your gut. Every three to five days, some cells are very slow. Bone cells are like are slow, brain cells are slow, but they do regenerate. But the inside lining of your gut's every three to five days. So you eat toast for breakfast, you tear the lining, it heals. You have a sandwich for lunch, you tear the lining, it heals. Pasta for dinner, tear the lining, it heals. A cookie, croutons on your salad, tear the lining, it heals. This goes on day after week after month after year until one day you don't heal anymore. Now you've got a leaky gut. And when you get a leaky gut, Larger molecules get through the tears in the cheesecloth. They're called macromolecules. They get through the tears in the cheesecloth into the bloodstream before they're supposed to get there. That's one of the reasons why your intestines are 20 to 25 feet long, is that it takes a whole lot longer to snip down and break down prime rib than it does a banana. And so you got to snip, 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 snip until it's small enough for them amino acids from prime rib to get through the cheesecloth. So when you get the tears in the cheesecloth, you get these macromolecules getting into the bloodstream. Your immune system says, whoa, what's this? This is not good for me. I better fight this. And your immune system makes antibodies to that macromolecule. So you make antibodies to spinach. You make antibodies to soy. You make antibodies to wheat. Whatever the macromolecule is, and if a doctor does a 90-food blood test on you to see what you're sensitive to, it comes back and says you're sensitive to 20, 25 different foods. And you say, oh my God, that's everything I eat. Well, of course it is. Your immune system's trying to protect you. 
when you heal the gut, stop tearing the cheesecloth, wait six months, now you're sensitive to two foods, maybe three. Those are the ones you have to stay away from permanently. So that whole mechanism of leaky gut, those macromolecules get in, your immune system fights those macromolecules. The way the immune system makes the antibodies to fight those macromolecules, now remember your bloodstream is just a highway. You know, everything is going the same direction. There's no lanes of traffic. So everything is bouncing against each other, going in the same direction. It's just a big old highway. You know, it's like, what, what's the name of those? Bumper cars at, at the circus. You know, you remember when you were a kid, you go to the circus, you hit those bumper cars into each other. You know, everybody gets whiplash. You know, now as a chiropractor, oh, my God. You know, because I see it happening again and again. But as a kid, <laughs> it was a lot of fun to do that, right? But your immune system is just bumper cars. So you've got antibodies that are looking for wheat, for example, the poorly digested peptides of wheat. And there's a signature to that poorly digested peptide of wheat. The most common one is 33 amino acids long. And I'll just say it's A, A, B, C, D. It's, but it's 33 letters of representing the amino acids. But I'll say A, A, B, C, D. So your antibodies are going through the bloodstream looking for A, A, B, C, D. Everywhere it can find it, it fires its chemical bullet. These are the special forces, these antibodies, firing their chemical bullet going after AABCD. And, you know, it's bouncing around. Now, I'm going to use the example of the thyroid, or, or I could use the brain. I'll use the thyroid for convenience. As the blood is going past the thyroid, the inner surface of the thyroid facing the bloodstream as the blood's going by is made up of proteins and fats. The proteins in that inner surface facing the bloodstream are made up of amino acids. And there are hundreds of amino acids long. They're big, long proteins. They've not been digested or broken down into peptides or individual amino acids. They're big, long proteins. Well, part of the proteins of the amino acids of the inside surface of the thyroid facing the bloodstream includes AABCD. So now you've got the antibodies looking for the peptide of wheat bouncing around in the immune system. So, oh, look over there. And it fires its chemical bullet at the thyroid, at the AABCD component of the inside wall of the thyroid blood vessel facing the bloodstream. So it fires its chemical bullet at the thyroid. Now, your immune system has to make antibodies to your thyroid to get rid of that damaged thyroid cell. That's why... If you do a blood test for thyroid antibodies, there's a normal reference range. It's normal, and most labs it's zero to 40 or zero to 43. It's, that, it's normal to have antibodies to thyroid. Why is it normal to have antibodies to your own tissue? Well, it's because you have to get rid of the old and damaged cells to make room for new cells. And so your body's always making antibodies to your thyroid, antibodies to your brain, antibodies to your muscles, antibodies to your eyes. You're, there's always a few antibodies around. There's a normal reference range on a blood test. But now the antibodies going after the peptide of wheat, AABCD, firing their chemical bullet at the thyroid because it, it saw the AABCD component of the inside surface of the thyroid. It fired its chemical bullet there, damaged that cell. Now your body has to make a few extra antibodies to get rid of the damaged thyroid cell. That's not a problem. But you eat toast for breakfast, sandwich for lunch, pasta for dinner, croutons. There's, there's gluten in your lipstick. There's gluten in your medications. There's gluten in your vitamin. You're getting exposures multiple times a day, every day. You're making more antibodies, AABCD, AABCD, AABCD. And th then eventually, 
and, and you're killing off your thyroid. If that's the weak link in your chain, you know, wherever your weak link in your chain is, that's where you're going to cause go down uh, eventually. If that's the weak link in your chain, and so the molecular mimicry, because the molecules look the same, it mimics the peptides of wheat. If it's your thyroid, eventually you get Hashimoto's thyroid disease. That's why so many people with Hashimoto's, when they go on a wheat-free diet, no wheat, not wheat, low wheat diet, but wheat-free diet, that's why for so many of those people, their antibodies to their thyroid go down is because they stop fueling the fire, making the antibodies. That's molecular mimicry. And I go through it in detail for the brain and which foods for the brain and what tissues in the brain. For example, if you have a sensitivity to soy or spinach or tomatoes, you're at risk. If you carry, if that's the weak link in your chain, you're at very high risk of antibodies attacking aquaporin-4. Aquaporin-4 is a primary component of your nerves, especially the nerves that go to your eyes. So you may develop diseases of the eye. The most common one is called neuromyelitis optica, big scrabble words. But molecular mimicry with antibodies to spinach and soy and tomato is common with uh, aquaporin-4 antibodies, which they think that's the main reason why one-third of the demyelination, myelin is the saran wrap around your nerves, one-third of the demyelination diseases in the Far East are of the eye because spinach and soy are very high percentage foods that are eaten in the Far Eastern diets. And that's why they say, well, one-third of the demyelination diseases in the Far East are neuromyelitis optica related. Maybe this is why, because they eat so much spinach and they eat so much soy. So that's molecular mimicry, and it goes on in your brain every single day. And there's an entire chapter in the book on that. Incredible. Awesome. Thank you for breaking that down. Fascinating. And obviously, you know, you've done so much work to bring in all these different connections and link the dots. You know, it's a good, it's a good reminder that all this, ex, all this research and all this material is out there in the world. And when uh, a traditional sometimes practitioner comes to our community and says, you know, after they watch something like, you know, betrayal or broken brain and says, listen, these are interesting ideas, but there's no evidence that's out there. What they're really saying is that they're just not aware of all the links that bring all these dots together. And that's not an absence of evidence. It's just an absence of awareness on, on their part. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. There are hundreds of studies on this. Just go to PubMed. That stands for Public Medical Information, pubmed.gov. And it's the National Library of Medicine. It opens right up on the search engine. And you've got 18 to 20 million articles, I'm not exaggerating, at your fingertips. So just go there and type in molecular mimicry and brain and see what you find. You go, holy cow, wow. And how, how can that doctor say there's no, there's no science? Well, wait a minute. What, what about all of this? You know, and you just see it and you go, oh, my gosh. OK, so then you'll know that there's science. And once again, for all of the listeners, this is overwhelming. I know it's overwhelming. That's why it's a base hit. You just go for one hour a week, one hour a day, you know, whatever your time will allow. And don't try to get it all at one time. 
And when you are patient with yourself and you take the time to do this, by the way, I just went to PubMed. There's 356 studies that come up when you type in molecular mimicry and brain. 356 studies. So okay. here's one, the, the top one. Rheumatic fever, autoimmunity, and molecular mimicry. The streptococcal connection. And I'll just elaborate on that one for a minute because this is so exciting for me. It's, it's, there's a lot of it in the book. Why do dentists give you antibiotics when you go to the dentist? Why do they do that? Because it's not that their equipment's not sterile, but it's, we've got so many toxic bacteria in our mouth. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families of bacteria in our mouth. It's called the oral microbiome. And when a dentist works on you, you know, you squirt some water in your mouth, you swish it around, you spit it out in that porcelain bowl, and many times it's pink water or it's red water, a little bit of blood. You got leaky gums. He just gave you leaky gums. And you're going to have leaky gums for a few days. Fastest growing cells in the body, inside lining of the intestines, every three to five days. Well, it's the entire GI tract, including the gums. They regenerate very quickly. But for three to five days, you've got leaky gums. And if you've got a high amount of streptococcus, strep infections, if you've got a high amount of strep in your oral microbiome and it gets through your leaky gums into your bloodstream, and if, if it activates your immune system to make antibodies to strep, because of molecular mimicry, the AABCD concept, the antibodies to strep can often go after the valves of your heart. That's rheumatic fever, and that can be really dangerous. That's why they give you antibiotics. It's because of a molecular mimicry mechanism. That, that is possible to go on in your mouth from the leaky gums that they've created in doing the work they're doing in your mouth. Fascinating. Well, Tom, we've talked about so many concepts. You dive so much deeper to them in your book. And you know, I feel like uh, we got to do a part two to our interview series and have you back to dig into. I have a whole other list of questions that I'm excited to get into and build on. But I think this is a great place for us to get started and whet the appetite on a lot of these new concepts that you're bringing to the table. That really, uh, you know, I want to applaud you because um, it's really the next, even within the functional medicine world, which is so progressive. Um, you know, I see you as one of the individuals that is continuing to bring in another link on the story that that may not be something that everybody else has had a chance to learn about yet. So just want to acknowledge you for your work to continue to bring um, deeper perspectives that uh, expand our understanding of how these uh, diseases happen and more importantly, what we can do to fix them. Well, thank you, Drew. It's um, really uh, an honor you know, to be with you guys and to support the broken brain. You guys have done such a great job with that. And as I said you know, during this interview, we don't have time to mess around, everyone. The science is really clear that we're being wiped out. And I never thought I'd be apocalyptic. You know, I don't want to be the wolf, you know, crying wolf. But just read the studies and it drops your jaw as to where we're going and the direction we're going in. And we have to up our game in how we think. And to up your game, it's so overwhelming. Just give it an hour a week. Be patient and be kind to yourself in this process. And in six months, you've got this down. And your brain's functioning like it hasn't functioned in a long time. And you feel comfortable in knowing that not only are you taking care of yourself and, and the brain health of your family, but you're doing something for the planet. Because you'll recycle your plastic bags, you know, you'll, uh, when you go shopping for vegetables. Or you'll, you'll certainly stand on the other side of the hose when you're pumping gas. All these little things that you'll learn to do for yourself that just become second nature. 
but just be kind to yourself and be patient with this process. Well, no better advice can be given to everybody on here. Tom, where can listeners find more about your book? Uh, when does it come out? And uh, I've heard you'd like to offer something special to the Broken Brain Podcast listeners. Could you share a little bit more about that? Oh, thanks so much. Uh, yeah, the book is um, available now on Amazon. And uh, uh, depending on when people hear this podcast, uh, it launches September 18th. So you may hear the podcast after that. But if you're hearing it before that, when you pre-order the book, uh, if you would consider that, what happens is that Amazon goes, whoa, look at all these pre-orders. And so already it's been ranked number one in neurology, number one in Alzheimer's, number one in stroke, number one in inflammation, and there's one more I'm not remembering. So it helps because Amazon will then give more exposure, you know, and so more people can hear about it. So it's on Amazon. It's also on our website. The website is thedr.com. And for the gift that uh, we have for everyone, uh, Dr. Tom's Pantry Essentials and Brain Boosting Staples. So what do you put in your pantry that is brain-friendly, brain-enhancing, and very unlikely to be allergenic to you? What are some of the pantry staples that you can put in there? And what are some of the things that can be a detriment to your brain? Well, thank you again, Dr. Tom O'Brien, for your time, for educating us and sharing on all this stuff. Uh, we really appreciate you uh, coming onto the podcast. Thank you, Drew. Thank you so very much for the opportunity and um, look forward to um, seeing you again.